I'm Heather Candelaria. And I'm Teresa Kleinlein. And welcome to Your Divorce Coaches, a Divi, the Divorce Agency podcast. And we're back. We're We're going to eventually just name it. And we're back. Um, Heather, thank you so much. I'm... You're this welcome. Been, what did I do? This has been, I, w- I will say, a long time coming, but we have needed to have a mediator on here mm-hmm. for a while. I mm-hmm. think everybody knows it's super hot topic in any type of family law conversation. What's the difference between an attorney and a mediator? What do they do? Mm-hmm. You know, Is it appropriate for my case? Right. What if it's not appropriate for my case? Is it a good place to start? All those things. Do we need two? Do we need one? Exactly. So, yeah, thank you so We are much. here with Mara Linder. Hi, how are you? Do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your practice? Uh, Absolutely. I am a family law mediator in town. I've been an attorney for 28 years. I also have my background in counseling psychology. It really meshes well to work with couples that are moving through a divorce process. And quite frankly, I use my uh, counseling background much, much more than I (laughs) use my law background in, in working with couples that are going through that transition. And the name of your company is? Affordable Mediation. Got it. Oh, yeah, which is really important because, as we all know, we got some tough financial times that are facing us right now. And if you're thinking about divorce, you know, a lot of times we kind of recommend meeting with mediators first to see if it's something that you can work within because it will probably save you tens of thousands of dollars if possible. Oh, no question. Even more than that in most cases. Let, let's just kind of um, start from a very elementary basic level mm-hmm. because I feel like that I've been divorced 10 years, and, like, I, I don't even know the answers to some of the questions we're going to ask. But as far as, you know, what even is mediation? How does it differ mm-hmm. from attorneys? And then down the road, talk about, you know, do, what's the difference between having one mediator for, for both parties or separate? So feel free to just kind of start from the very kind of bottom level of somebody who's thinking of maybe getting a divorce. I don't even know what the difference is between a mediator and an attorney. Yeah, absolutely. That's a question I get a lot, too, is what is mediation? Mm -hmm. And it's surprising because you think now with a lot of people talking about mediation in different formats that you think it'd be more common, and it actually is not. It's a small percentage of people that are actually using mediation in all forms of legal issues, mm-hmm. not just in family law. So I found that there's been a huge educational piece for people. What's what's a mediator? Mm-hmm. Um, and I get uh, you know me- I get meditation a lot. If, if you're if you're writing it out, they're looking for divorce <laughs> meditation, which is appropriate too. But or uh, that's another podcast. Yeah, there's, there, exactly. <laughs> so um, really, it, it's it's a simple concept. I have a, a very different approach. That's um, maybe not the most popular among the legal field, but my approach is that mediation from its very basic is just based in psychology, in human nature. You give people the appropriate environment, support a non-judgmental place to speak freely, and go back to the basics, and they're gonna reach their own agreements pretty mm-hmm. much every time. And, that, and mediation is having a third party facilitate that. And there are so many different approaches to mediation. All different mediators have different ways that they think about it and they approach it. And, and I have my own that mm-hmm. I, I, I guard jealously because I, I really feel that it works really well based on experience and feedback from couples that have, have moved through it. But I'm probably not in the majority in my approach to mediation. Really? Yeah. Can you give us a little bit of insight as to... Can you give us your secrets just real quick? <laughs> <laughs> like what just in... It could be very general. Like what you what makes your, your approach different? Uh, truly from a positive psychology standpoint. Okay. 
client-centered. I believe mediation stems from the teachings of a very famous psychologist, uh, counseling theorist called Carl Rogers, Mm -hmm. who I believe really was the origin of mediation. He ended up going on to international negotiations, mediation, things like that, all using this psychology principle of just give people the right environment to grow and they will naturally grow towards health and agreement and positive outcome. And so that's what I really cling to. It's not about what's my legal rights, Mm -hmm. although people, everyone wants to know that. So Mm -hmm. to kind of boil it back down to the basics, what is mediation? It's a third party helping people reach agreement, but there's a lot of different ways to do it. So from my approach, I don't want attorneys in mediation sessions. And why is that? I personally believe it's a conflict of interest in a lot of ways. Also, I feel like it takes away from the real underlying issues, which is what's going on here. Mm -hmm. And what's usually going on here is people are hurt. Mm. Uh, They're also frustrated and angry and they want to move forward, but they don't know how. Right. And so uh, they also, also for a lot of people that at least couples I work with, a lot of them have young kids. Mm -hmm. And so they also want to look at how can we help the kids through this process? And so I feel like if you're focusing on, oh, this is what I can argue in court, or my attorney says I can get this much in spousal maintenance, what we, we call alimony here, alimony here in Arizona, you're taking away from what's the underlying goals of the couple and the family and what really is important to them mm-hmm. to help them and the kids move forward. And so I take the focus back to that. That's where we start. Everybody wants to know their legal rights. Am I entitled to this? Am I entitled to that? So I, I give a general overview of kind mm-hmm. of here's how the law works in Arizona. But the the not so secret secret is uh, nothing is black and white in family law. Mm-hmm. You can argue every possible different angle from every possible issue, even with respect to the division of assets and debts. Everyone's like, it's a 50-50 state. It, it's actually not necessarily. It says... Note div- yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It says, <laughs> next divorce. Yeah. Divide, it says divide things equitably. And so you can argue all day long what's equitable. It's not necessarily 50-50, although that is the default where most people end up, Mm -hmm. something around that. I I love that it's called affordable mediation, mainly because I I hate seeing divorces take money out of a family's... Future. uh, Thank you, future. um, That could be for for the children and for so many other things. So I love that you're putting it right out there, that it's affordable and it's approachable to people. I'm thinking of couples in general where one of them might worry his personality is so much stronger than mine I'm gonna end up giving in Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying so I'm sure this is just like you have a really eloquent answer for this but I'm sure whenever you go in the room with a couple you can probably read you have a psychology background which one is caving in too much and which one is kind of asking for too much and how you find a happy medium for all that when you see one person maybe agreeing to too much Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. Every couple has that dynamic. One person uh, has a certain approach to things in one way and another person a different approach. And and you do see more of a dominant person in most relationships in different areas. Sometimes they might be more dominant in the financial area or in the emotional area. So you do have to walk that that tightrope and make sure both people feel completely heard and have their voice out there as well. So again, going back to psychology, by checking in, constantly mm-hmm. checking in with people. And I, you know, I use a lot of counseling techniques. I can see on your face that, that you're uncomfortable with what was just said. What's your perspective on that? You know, getting all, and encouraging people to open up. Mediation is a safe place. It's confidential. It's uh, encouraging them to open up. And, and if something's bugging them, let's talk about it now. Let's, I, I talk about full transparency. Mm-hmm. I say, <clears throat> might as well have full transparency now than let it harbor and have, and have resentment later. I tell everybody, 
don't agree to something if it's if it's and this is my professional very you know formal term if it's niggling at you mm-hmm. if, if there's a niggle in your stomach it means we need to talk more it means something's bothering you something doesn't feel right if it's not feeling right let's not do it let's keep talking about it and so if i get the sense there's sort of one person that's a little more dominant i i try to and i think a lot of mediators do this i try to balance the discussion in always looking to the other person as well and getting their feedback and if i'm reading something that it looks like they're hesitant to say maybe you know encouraging mm-hmm. them to to express that now when there's when it's not binding mm-hmm. and it's confidential and, and trying to get that and i know like you know in my industry you have like dual agency when you're representing both parties and you know do you ever find that that's kind of a almost a conflict of interest within yourself too do you ever feel like oh you know there really is a power imbalance there really is you know a you know a divide that we're not going to be able to conquer here and then you know how do you approach that situation oh absolutely i worry about that every mm-hmm. single time uh, i do encourage couples although i don't allow attorneys in the session i do encourage them to get any kind of support before ever signing or agreeing into anything and when you say support what does that mean It's anywhere from legal advice, financial advice, divorce coaches, counselors, budget coaches, friends, uh, in some cases clergy, like get people to help support you with your decisions and make sure you feel comfortable with that. Now, the opposite side of that is everybody knows that when you're going through a divorce situation, you're having well-meaned, intentioned friends or advisor kind of whispering in your ear and that may not necessarily be the best advice for you. So you have to kind of, you know, weed out what is, you know, somebody just raw rawing in your corner and somebody truly that's looking to help you and the whole family move mm-hmm. forward in a way that's going to work for everybody. Mm-hmm. So before someone comes to meet with you, you know, your ideal scenario of like their preparation and they come to you and they say, this is what I've done. Like, would they have consulted with a lawyer prior to meeting with you to just go through their legal rights and like then they're exploring mediation on top of that? Or do you suggest that they start with mediation and then feel like they need to get into letting, if it's appropriate for the case, meet with a lawyer? So I don't ever presuppose to know what's best for anyone and mm-hmm. I encourage anyone to get whatever advice and support mm-hmm. they want. So I don't want to um, push them in any particular direction. I have found in my experience though, people that are willing to have one session with me, and this goes into my fees, and I'll talk about it in a second. I, I, I set it up so people can stick their toe in the water with very little financial investment and never have to, to move forward with me so that there's no risk. But I use that first session to really um, help them evaluate where are we, answer questions, evaluate options based on their particular individual family situation and individual goals, family goals, goals for the kids, and realistic financial situation. And I feel that then I can give them guidance on, okay, here's next steps, here's things to think about. And they can then take some more specific questions and go to whatever source they need that answer from, whether it's a lawyer or a financial specialist or a counselor or a coach, you know, whoever that may be. I'm, I'm guessing that one party contacts you and then you need to meet with the other one also to make separately to make sure that they both feel comfortable. Does that make sense in using you, right? Well, sort of. Okay. <laughs> Most other mediators, up until recently, did free in-person consults. With the, they would schedule and the couple would come in together and no questions would be answered until they come in and then they basically have the consult answer their questions and usually do a sales pitch and, and a little sticker shock with what the price is going to be. Um, my approach is a little different. It, again, ties into my fees, which I, I want to kind of address my approach and why I do it that way. But I anybody can call me at any time. It's not a formal consult. They call me and leave a message or I pick up the phone. I don't have any staff. It's one of the ways I keep my rates low. So I answer my own phone so I may not get to it 
um, and they have to leave a message. Uh, but I will call them back or I'll get the just pick up the phone during business hours and have the consult right there. And it's usually just one person. And so I don't get into anything substantive. I just talk about process and I follow up with an email addressed to the other person as well that says, here's, you know, here's your spouse contacted me. Here's some information. Please call me. I'll provide the same information to you. If you both want to call me back together and have a joint consult, that's fine. If you want to schedule something, that's fine. All my phone consults are free, but typically it's one person sort of feeling it out. Mm -hmm. And then when I do send that follow-up uh, email to them, I only address it the actual email address to them, but I talk to both parties in the substance of the email uh -huh. and they can decide whether to forward it to the other person. I don't uh -huh. ever want to surprise anyone. And I invite <laughs> them to call me. The interesting thing is most don't. Most have had some kind of discussion with their spouse ahead of time and they're kind of trusting one spouse to take sure. the lead on choosing a mediator. So, I mean, that's entirely up to them, but I, I will talk to either or both mm -hmm. spouses on the phone as much as possible for free before they make the decision to move forward and answer their questions directly. I think it's, again, I think I, I kind of want to back up just a little bit because if somebody's listening and we're we're kind of, um, naturally, I think we're comparing the mediation process to an attorney process mm -hmm. and we're kind of thinking about how it's different. Listeners might not even know what the attorney process is. So would you mind talking about in general, if you decide to get a divorce and you both file and you each have an attorney, this is just a general idea of what you can expect not not extreme but like a general idea right. as compared to if you decide to do mediation this is what you can expect absolutely uh, typically in litigation uh, especially if both parties get attorneys but a lot of people also don't get attorneys and just represent themselves but typically you're looking at a one to two year process uh, you're going to start by filing your initial um, petition for dissolution, have the other person served, and then they will file a response, and that triggers court hearings. So you have court hearings, motions, and then you'll start having discovery where each side's trying to obtain financial information, other information from the other, and you'll have hearings along the way, maybe some temporary orders that'll put in interim, non-permanent um, orders around finances, around the kids, or around spouse maintenance or child support just to kind of hold things in some kind of financial pattern. Would you say there's usually a retainer with attorneys? Almost all, almost all. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm, tr I'm trying for uh, me to not. Yeah. I'm trying for me to not say any of it. I'm right. just saying, like in general, like what somebody can, uh, you know, expect. Yes. Like, most, and also an initial consult too. Right. Uh, attorney consults are going to be hourly, um, usually, and then um, if you retain them, usually you retain them for anywhere from low, low, low end would be twenty five hundred a person, so it's about five thousand dollars. Typically, is more around five thousand to ten thousand a person. So you're usually looking at ten thousand to twenty thousand in retainers. That's just to get started. That barely gets mm -hmm. you through the process. So you're right off the bat, the family's taking a financial hit um, just in the process, and they may not even resolve things through litigation. You you don't know, or it, it, they could end up just settling anyway. They could end up going all the way through and settle on the eve of trial, which is what most people do. Most people don't take it all the way through to trial because you're usually looking at least a hundred thousand in legal fees for that, mm -hmm. and doesn't make sense for most most couples. So, yeah, you're looking at a lot of paperwork, a lot of hearings, a lot of back and forth, and it tends to take on a life of its own. A lot of times what I hear from couples that end up breaking out of the litigation process and coming and working with our firm is, you know, the attorneys started arguing about stuff we didn't even care about, we didn't even want, mm -hmm. and they're charging us hourly for this dispute that, that wasn't our dispute. And it's more the process just kind of takes on a life of its own and the couple sort of loses control. So I tell everybody, you, there's no risk in trying mediation first. You give up no rights. You can always take it through the litigation process later if you don't if you're not feeling that things are fair or you know you just can't get there 
So you can always do that later, but going to litigation first and then stopping and mediating, yeah, we can do that too, but you, you, your lines are drawn at that point. You're invested mm -hmm. financially, emotionally. The lawyers are invested at that point. I certainly see couples that do that, and we t halt the litigation process, mediate, and you know, most of the time I hear, oh, gosh, why didn't we mediate first? We, right. didn't, we didn't know this was an option. Right, and that's kind of, you know, the, the conversation that we keep, coming, we keep coming back to is that we're trying to change the approach to divorce where it's like so many people think, oh, I'm getting divorced. The first thing I need to do is call a lawyer. And it's like it may not be. Like the first thing you should probably do is figure out your finances, you know, think about different ways to pursue a divorce. If it's mediation, litigation, if it's collaborative, there's different options. What's the best fit for you? You know, there's a lot of questions leading up to it where – I think the traditional ways is just a phone call to a, I have to hire a lawyer immediately. Yeah, I think you hit it exactly right, Heather. That's that's those are the steps that need to be taken, and but the, we're just conditioned years mm -hmm. after years. You get a lawyer, or you're going to get screwed. That's what I. That's the actual term I hear from everybody. Mm -hmm. I hear, if my friends say if I don't get a lawyer, I'm going to get screwed. Um, I, I believe the opposite. <laughs> but the the steps you said, I actually have a checklist that's mm -hmm. free on my website that has those steps. You have to get your ha a handle on your finances ideas of, of what you want to do with your kids, all of that. But you don't have to have it all figured out before you mm -hmm. have a mediation session. I have some people, it's just too overwhelming. They mm -hmm. don't even want to, they've never budgeted. They haven't been the one in charge of the finances or they have and they're just too busy with work. They don't want to think about it. So I give people the option. Here's everything you can pull together before we meet. If you're not comfortable with that, we'll do it later and I'll show you how to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but you're talking about the steps that everybody would have to do anyway. I, I even suggest it for people not going through divorce or, or planning on divorce, just couples. You need to have that financial talk. Um, you both should know where all the assets and debts are, current balances, um, passwords. That sh you know, What if somebody passed away, not even mm -hmm. divorced, and the other person doesn't have access to all of that? Think about that. So I think it's discussions that I'm ha trying to have people open up before even divorce is even mm -hmm. a topic, and even couples even considering getting married. Have that financial talk now. Have mm -hmm. some plans, plans in place. What, what if a couple... You know, it's like mediation. We don't get along well enough for that. I mean, how much, how amicable does the divorcing couple need to be? Or do you work with people that are like, they can't stand each other. They're not even looking at each other in the room. You know what I mean? Like, it is your, do they have to kind of be getting along a little bit? I originally thought that with my model, because my model is come together, no attorneys allowed in the, in the actual room. Of course, you're not bound to anything during the session, so it's okay to not have attorneys in there. Now, and it, it tends to bring in couples that have a sense of we want to, especially when there's kids, we want to be able to collaborate at some level and not, you know, rip all, the whole family and each other apart in this. And there's other people that are just too angry for that. But I actually have found, surprisingly, over the years, that it's not the couple, it's the system. So people are, are getting divorced for all kinds of different reasons, but communication has broken broken down, trust has broken down. And so, yeah, it's hard to have a conversation without, you know, feeling like I don't want to look at that this person mm -hmm. or I don't believe anything they're saying. But when you put a third party in the mix, whether it's a therapist, uh, a mediator, a friend, you know, anybody, it changes the entire dynamic of that conversation. And I found it's not the couples that have these huge battles. It's the system. If you take every couple before it gets into the litigation system and give them a chance to just sit down and speak their truth and have an honest, open conversation about how they feel, I feel hurt by this, mm -hmm. that type of thing, I think a lot more couples would reach agreement and not be using the court system. If mm -hmm. they just gave it just even one session like We should a ring the bell right now because yeah. that's like such a big <laughs> true statement. Ding, yeah. ding, ding, ding. Okay, and sorry. 
So have you ever had a case where you're in the same room with people and they've agreed to come to the table, but you're reading the room and it's like, this is just not going to work. And if it's if that happens, what's the next step for them and what do you recommend? Almost never. Okay, I, that's I, great. I'm telling you that I, I'm constantly amazed and the back of my head is going, I didn't even think this, there was any way this was going to happen. How did we reach almost full agreement today? Mm-hmm. Um, it, again, I think it's just the environment you put people in. So my mediations start off with just checking in. Where are you at? How are you feeling? Um, what are you wor- really worried about right now at this moment? When you express the fear, those fears or those concerns or those frustrations that hurt to your partner, typically they're not going to go on the attack. They're going to be like, you know, I'm not here to, to hurt you. I don't want to leave you on the streets. I don't want to do that. But mm-hmm. here's how I feel. You know, and it just it just I, I notice that it's almost like a big breath is taken and this tension gets starts relieving out of the room. If you just start with people by just where are you at right now? What is it that you're worried about? You know, and, and just start getting right down to the basics. And it really does. It takes a lot of the animosity. Now, not, what if one of them really is a complete asshole? And by that, I mean, like, one of them doesn't care if the other one's on the streets. One of them doesn't care about the parenting, whatever. Maybe your answer is they wouldn't have gotten to your mediation they wouldn't in the have first gotten, place. Okay. That's right. yeah. that's so, they, they wouldn't even. If, if somebody's so no juicy true, answer. If no. somebody's, <laughs> yeah, if somebody's truly unreasonable, if somebody's really just out to hurt and the other person, okay. if they have certain, I won't list them here, I'm not qualified, but if, yeah. if certain personality disorders, um, they're probably not going to seek a service okay. like ours. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just not. And maybe, you know, they just need that litigation process and somebody else has to make the decisions for them. Okay, so I have another question just about the process. So say you've gone through mediation, you've decided and agreed to everything because you were an attorney. Um, what happens next? You prepare the legal documents for them, and then what happens? It's actually extremely uninvolved with the court. Okay. So the mediation system, and, and several of us mediators have, have used sort of the same system, which is very different from the litigation mm-hmm. process. Um, we do three filings with the court. Two neutral. You don't have to have a single agreement in place. It just starts the process, gets you your case number, starts your, there's a 60-day waiting period in Arizona mm-hmm. that it starts that. Um, I won't get into the other legal stuff that it does, but... And then all that you really have to submit to the court is just a final um, compilation of documents that is your divorce decree. It mm-hmm. has all your agreements in there. As long as they're written, written in a legally proper manner, the judge is going to rubber stamp them if the judge even sees it. Usually it's their assistant. Um, but when they see joint consent decree, mm-hmm. or, which means the couple has agreed by consent, is doing this together, they've reached these agreements on their own, then the judge typically just rubber stamps that. So there, there's three filings, too. You don't even have to have any agreements in place and then just your substantive final agreements. That's it. That's the entire involvement with the court. And, yeah, you have to be an attorney or a certified legal document preparer to prepare those docs or, or they could do them on their own if they wanted to as well. And, that, and you offer those services? Yeah. Since I, I, I'm a licensed Arizona attorney, so I can, can prepare the documents and I do prepare the documents. Even couples that have attorneys usually like me to do the first drafts because I do it from a neutral standpoint. Okay, interesting. Does a mediator have to have an attorney background? Not at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it, what I found is it varies by region. So there are, okay. there are some states where all the mediators there are, are, have a psychology background. Interesting. Um, Arizona is more of a, an attorney mediator state. And here's where it's a little controversy for people when I say this. I don't think the typical mediation that is done in Arizona is mediation, is true mediation. I think it's settlement negotiations. Okay. So in most cases, you start litigating, you get the two lawyers, you hire a high-priced mediator, they go back and forth between separate rooms, the couple never sees each other, and the lawyers do pretty much all the negotiating. 
and then there may or may not be a settlement and they go on to further in the, the litigation process. That's how, that is the sort of the norm here in Arizona. And again, I just don't think that has anything to do with mediation. I think that's pure settlement negotiations. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I get I get a lot of uh, flack for saying that. And I <laughs> blog about it. I get in my little soapbox about it. But I just don't think that's mediation. There is a handful of family law mediators who do something similar to the approach that I do. I've learned from some of them. Some of them have come after um, where it's more of privately meeting with the parties. And we all prefer to see parties before they get the lawyers and try to give them the control of the process mm-hmm. and let them choose how to use lawyers if they want to. Uh, another thing that a lot of people don't know is you don't have to retain an attorney. You can use a lawyer as a consultant through the process. Okay, interesting. And what, describe that. You would just pay them hourly as needed. So if you want to get some legal advice around, you know, what should I be asking for about spousal maintenance or what should I be paying in spousal maintenance mm-hmm. or, you know, how, what should we be looking at with respect to the kids? Um, you can just pay an hour, a lawyer hourly to do that. Let them know you're in mediation, that you're not trying to litigate this. But then if things don't work out, that lawyer's up to speed. If you want to litigate, they can turn around, put their litigator hat on, and you can retain them, and and you can do that. You can also use lawyers, which I strongly encourage, not everyone does, but to just review your final documents Mm -hmm, before mm -hmm. you sign them. Mm -hmm. So although I'm an attorney, and hopefully I'm not making a lot of mistakes on the documents, I don't represent either party. And I'm drafting them from a purely neutral standpoint. And I'm human. I make mistakes. Mm -hmm. hate to admit it, but it's true. (laughs) Don't tell my husband. But uh, basically, if you have an attorney, review it. At least they, anything that jumps out or anything that I may have inadvertently overlooked or a couple's overlooked in the review because there's some legal language in there, they can sort of make sure that they bless the documents before mm-hmm. you sign them. So I encourage everybody to do that, although, quite frankly, most don't because most of the couples I work with are looking to keep costs down as what much are, as possible. Mara, what about this whole idea that, like... Okay, I'm thinking of people like when they come to us and they're kind of in that little bit of an emotional frenzy of, I think I'm going to do this. These are all the rumors I've heard. So what about the rumor of somebody spending a lot and the only way you get them to stop spending is if you file. And when you file, everybody has to spend as business as usual. Since there's no filing at the get-go, like what, how does starting to work with you does that start something in motion as far as nobody can spend anymore? Or yeah, I have them sign it in my contract. Okay, so, so it's in your initial contract. The, the, yeah, it's in the contract that they sign before they even meet with me. Plus, we discuss it first session. If somebody's really concerned, we'll go ahead and have them start. The, you can start those initial docs at any time since we don't put anything in them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wasn't going to get into earlier. But the, the service date when somebody in litigation would be served by a process server, very unpleasant. Um, we just do an acceptance of service. So just a party just signs that they've received this petition that really doesn't say much except it's neutral. Um, that start that severs the community. So any new Perfect. debt, any new um, income mm-hmm. from that point forward is arguably sole and separate. So if somebody's just spending, 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 mm-hmm. that that can cut it off at that point. Although people express that concern a lot, once we have that first mediation session, one of the things we address is is immediate finances, mm-hmm. and we put some good faith. Uh, boundaries in place. And quite honestly, people abide by that because if you don't, the other person is just going to get a lawyer and go to court right. and things are going to you know, go off to the races. And, and so most couples that, that um, choose mediation are not wanting to do that if they can avoid it. So I find they honor the good faith agreements. But if there's really a concern, um, they can go ahead and file and get that started mm-hmm. and sever the community for any future um, debt that could be incurred. Are you worried there's going to start being a lot of jokes about mediators like there are about attorneys? 
I'm just kidding. There are. <laughs> there are. Probably not appropriate to a mediator someone. and a priest walking to a bar. <laughs> no, there, there's, some, there's some good ones out there for, for mediators. I was going to say doozies, but that dates me. It's okay. Um, so I'll, I'll let you talk for a little bit, Heather. <laughs> well, I actually wanted to kind of explain my pricing model. Yes, I've, done, I've done this. The reason my business is called Affordable Mediation is I did this deliberately. So I worked for a couple other mediation companies first. And I saw how much less expensive it was to mediate than litigate, but it was still really expensive. So I thought there's got to be a way to do this that is a lot more approachable and less expensive. So when you say really expensive, can you put that in some parameters for so our listeners? I, I don't have I, I try to do a little snooping, but I don't have all the sure. current current on the latest. But on average, other mediation companies can be like eight. Ten, fifteen thousand dollars for mediation. So maybe that's not really expensive. Some people that is to me. Mm-hmm. Um, my mediations range twenty nine hundred to forty five hundred. That that's for both people all mm-hmm. together, and um, so they can split that cost. So it's, if it goes past a certain amount of time, does the if it takes longer to mediate, does that increase the price, or is that is it just kind of a package deal? I, I do it hourly, but I rarely have people spend extra time because okay. I, I developed a system where I give the couple as much guidance as possible to do as much on their own off the clock without me present. And I found that works for almost everybody. So if I, I give very written, uh, detailed summaries at the end of my sessions that said, say, here's what we talked about. Here's next steps. Here's specific things to work on. Here's things to ask your CPA. Here's things to ask your attorney if you have an attorney. Here's things to ask your business financial person, mm-hmm. financial person, whoever you're talking to, your coach. Um, and so I give them all that and they go off and most couples end up having those discussions offline when they're, you know, they're able to, with guidance, have those discussions. Plus they know that they're not going to be incurring costs for me by having to come back in. So I actually have a lot less sessions, I believe, than most other mediation, mediation companies. So typically with kids, most sessions are two to three sessions or two hours each without kids, one to two sessions, two hours that's each. It. Wow. That, that, that's it. It really keeps the cost down. Now, if you need an extra session, it'll increase the cost a little bit more, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. Anybody end up not getting a divorce because of your psychological background, helping them kind of talk it out maybe? A lot of people reconcile when they, they choose the mediation process because wow. there's no set wow. outcome. What's yeah. the percentage you would think? Well, when I say a lot, probably. <laughs> no, um, 30%? I mean, even 30%. 10%. I'd say probably closer to 10%. Okay. 10% is a lot. Yeah. The fact that you have any that are deciding to not get a divorce mm-hmm. once they start your, you know, your process is... Well, I mean, a lot of people don't know what it's, it entails. So what had started happening over the years, I'm still dialed into the counseling community. And so a lot of marriage and family therapists will send couples into me not to get a divorce, but to have a session around what would it look like mm-hmm. if we wanted to move forward with a divorce. And so we have that session around this is all of the things that you would have to decide what the new reality would look like. Here's the realistic on the finances, mm-hmm. realistic p- picture on the financials. And couples then go back to their marriage counselor with that information, and it helps them make the decision, do what we actually want to take that step of separating right. or divorcing. Which is so ring important. Again. Yeah, ring the bell. <laughs> <laughs> I've never rung the bell before, <laughs> we'll just oh, I'm on, I'm on before this episode. No, really. It's I thought, like two things we've said that I'm like, oh, like, you know. Yeah. Usually ringing the bell, wasn't that a beheading in uh, Chevy Chase European vacation? If they ring the bell, it means there's going to be a beheading. <laughs> I know. Who's Chevy Chase? I'm kidding. I know, I know. I, I keep dating like myself. I'm young. I love I'm, Chevy Chase. I'm dating myself with you I'm young a... ladies here. Oh, young ladies. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> this is such great information. I Amazing. mean, I think that literally like in 10 years from now, 
I don't want to have attorneys mad at me, but like I think mediation is just going to continue to be the norm, right? Well, I mean, it, uh, yeah, I'm, again, I think that there's this whole positive divorce movement that is more about, you know, the outcome and ha- maintaining a relationship with your future ex-spouse to keep the kids in mind if there's kids involved, but to have a positive relationship and try to have the most positive outcome as possible. And that's hard to do when you've got, like you said, I mean, sometimes attorneys can be fighting for things that they think, not necessarily what their client thinks. And it just, you know, it creates a different approach and, you know, antagonistic, you know, way of doing things that it's not right. necessarily the best way to do it. There's software I'm now that he- no, there's software <laughs> now that helps it. There's apps that helps with technology for sure. I mean, yeah, technology they call it. And, and I I don't want to necessarily necessarily say anything bad about attorneys. Right. I think it's the right. system. Mm-hmm. So exactly. attorneys are not doing their job if they're not advocating the best they can for their client. And some attorneys think they know, you know, better than their client what that is. And other attorneys are very open-minded and, and really let the client take the lead on that. It's just that once you enter the litigation system, it is a win-lose system. Mm-hmm. It, it just is. That's how it's set up. The system's broken. Mm-hmm. The courts are inundated. The judges are overworked. They have, I think each has 800 cases on their caseload. Wow. You know, it's, you're just not going to get that time and attention to your particular case. So mediation, couples retain 100% control over the process, and they make all the decisions. And if they don't want to agree to it, they don't have to. So right now, this is a question more from a psychological standpoint, because we're in quarantine, we're in lockdown, you know, um, we're working from home. Um, Are you doing calls where you have video set up with clients for sessions? Because how important is it to be tapped into their body language when you're talking to them? I think nonverbal cues are very important, important, excuse me, but I have been doing video mediations for a long time. So fortunately, I didn't have any um, learning curve. I've had Zoom for a while prior to that. I had a different uh, platform. But since I work with couples that are out of state or live far away or even some out of country, video's been a necessity. And I I fortunately found over the years with video, you're getting those nonverbal cues. Mm -hmm. You're, You're still seeing the visuals and I can still read their faces, they can read my face, they can get a sense of who I am, I can get a sense of who they are, and they can see each other's reactions. So um, video, we haven't missed a beat with that. We're doing all our mediations right now by video. I Also, just interestingly, even though I wouldn't think it would be the preferred, a lot of couples have been using phone for years, phone mm-hmm. mediations. Um, they're doing fine without the, the visual clues, and that's their preference. And I think some of that was some people weren't comfortable with the technology. I think it, that'll change now, and mm-hmm. people will be more comfortable with Zoom. But, uh, yeah, we're just continuing on business as usual. We're not doing the in-person mediations that we were doing before, but the Zoom, we've something we've always offered. Yeah, and as a follow-up to that with everything that's going on, can you speak a little bit about what's going on with the court system in Arizona in particular as far as timelines and people who are thinking about divorce right now and what's going on? So it's been interesting because I've been bugging <laughs> The court clerks, the judges, all that. As soon as this hit, I wanted non-contact procedures. I wanted to know what was happening as the courts were closing. I wanted to know time frames. Um, And instead of getting into all of that, because there's a lot of information and it keeps changing, but basically mediated divorces are not being held up at all. They're on the exact same time frame, which is anywhere from uh, two and a half, three months to five months, depending on the couple and how quickly or slowly they want to take it. And you can take longer than that, but most couples usually on average finish three to five months. 
we're having no, since we do those three filings, we're having no problem with that. We have some non-contact procedures we can provide and um, even for notarization now. Mm -hmm. You can do e-notarizing, the courts allowing unsworn um, declarations and also copies of driver's license instead of actually physically being in front of a notary. So we have all that. Litigation, on the other hand, from what I heard, is pretty much ground to a halt with some exceptions. Um, so one of the family law attorneys with whom I, I work told me, she's like, she's just telling clients, expect at least a nine-month delay for your first hearing if you're litigating, so go work it out or mediate. She's mm -hmm. actually telling couples that. It, it's just, there's just going to be a huge backlog. In-person hearings, unless it's emergencies, they've been, you know, postponed. And uh, basically the courts are closed except for emergency-type situations and just basic filings. I want, I want to go down, like, a different road really quick just because of your expertise. Heather and I have talked before many times about how the idea of a prenup, like you hear about it in rap video, rap, like rap songs, <laughs> and people think it's like a bad, you know, like get a prenup or you're getting screwed. And we always talk about how like the idea of like having a prenup in the future will, first of all, we've got to change the name of it so it's not something that's called a prenup, but something that's more approachable. And having this agreement up front can be a really great thing. So just, I'm just wondering from your perspective, is it a great idea? Do you think for people to have some type of agreement up front? And do you see that trend happening more in the future just so people don't have to argue? And and secondly, because maybe people are getting married later and they already have some assets or maybe they're not getting married, but they're still having like a civil union. Yeah, I, I think prenups are fabulous ideas. Absolutely. I push it, like I said, on any young mind that will listen that's, or even not so young, that um, that's looking at get, potentially ever getting married. Uh, I think it, it could protect both parties in so many ways. It's not sexy. I think I did a blog on that. guys. I said it's not sexy to get a prenup. But like you said, maybe if we can re re rename it, it. rename it, rebrand. Absolutely. Let's let's go for it. Let's yeah. rebrand it. But I, I think it could benefit everybody. Just setting out expectations. I know you can't necessarily anticipate future, but you can put things in as contingencies. You could say, in the event one of us stayed home with the kids and the other pursued their career, mm -hmm. if we ended up splitting, we're going to equalize our incomes for X percent the length mm -hmm. of the marriage. So you don't even have to know what the incomes are or know which p parent stays home or if they're even going to stay home. Right. But you can put these things in that doesn't, you know, drop one person off a cliff when things split and one has now really, you know, advanced in their career and the other has to start all over. Mm -hmm. um, do you do any of that right now? Do you do? I think mediation for a prenup would be a fabulous business. It's it's not that popular. I, I, I Really? It, I, I would think that hopefully that's changing. Yeah. And also with a prenup, you, you really want to have two attorneys at least review them. So, yeah, it's a great place to have a mediator help talk that out and mm -hmm. flesh that out and come up with maybe the first draft. But for it to be enforceable, you really have to have separate attorneys review them, mm -hmm. you know, mark them up and, and put their stamp on them. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people don't want to go through that. Or when they're first getting married, they don't have the assets. And, and mm -hmm. it's more, I see it more like insurance, like anything, you know, try to plan it out ahead of time, like estate documents. A lot, lot of couples don't have estate documents, even after the kids. And, you know, I try to preach a little bit about that in my sessions. And and hope that they'll at least consider that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think I think it's a, a definitely something that should be more focused on and could help couples navigate uncertainties. And anything off topic you want to talk about, Heather? <laughs> Any just questions you have? I'm just I'm sitting here just thinking of a rebrand for prenup and what it would what it would sound like. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Premarriage. I mean, you got to do premarriage counseling, but again, it's one of those weird things like people don't want to talk about the money. Well, they don't realize that like it's based on what you're earning when you're together. So they think that they think that, oh, neither one of us have anything, but then one person's going to be earning more than the other one, maybe. Anyway, 
Yeah, it, it, it's one of the the biggest issues that everybody is uncertain about, and so are we, is spousal maintenance, which mm-hmm. is, you know, except other states have called it alimony. I think we may have even used to call it alimony here in Arizona. I'm not that old. But, alimony um, sounds like dynasty. So. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Jackie, whatever her name is. Yeah, the hugest yeah, states. alimony. Brangelina yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically... We don't have any guidance here. We had some guidelines and a calculator that was thrown out, basically, that we can't really use. It's not enforceable in court. And I don't like to use it anyway, because if we do, whichever person it benefits clings onto that and never lets go. And we mm-hmm. kind of lose the, the open discussion around that. But we just don't have really any guidance or any support for the lower income earner in most cases in, in, in Arizona. Different states are different. And so it's really whatever the couple crafts on their own is what they're going to do. And the courts aren't really going to provide any guidance on that. Every judge looks at it differently. Every attorney looks at it differently. There's no consensus on what somebody would, quote, be entitled to in spousal maintenance if they got divorced. You hear all these stories of so-and-so got this in their divorce, so that's what I'm entitled to. Well, this big secret is most people aren't having a judge order that because they're not going to trial. They're not spending that 100000 on trial. So it ends up being what their attorneys negotiated as for spousal maintenance. So when you hear somebody got this, it's not what anybody order right it's what they negotiate yeah it's not like because there was some rule right yeah. there's no there's no rule on it so instead we just i i don't focus just on spells and maintenance although it's a huge big issue for everybody we took talk about it in the big picture you know how okay. are, you, your goals were to keep the kids in the house at least through high school or through the first year of college your goals were to not have resentment around each other when it came to the divorce and just refocus on the kids. Whatever the goals may be, how does spousal maintenance play a part in that? Mm-hmm. Your goal was to go back to school and get a different degree to allow you to be more self-sufficient in a different career. What does that look like? How could we use spousal maintenance or not use spousal maintenance mm-hmm. um, to help meet that goal? When we frame it as the whole picture and what we're trying to do to help a couple and family move forward, they always come to agreement on spousal maintenance. So no one's have, like no fights broke out. You've never had an arm wrestle over the table. Two couples, no, nothing? flip the coins, flip coins a couple <laughs> times. But um, no, I mean, there's there's certainly there's hot, strong emotion when it comes to money, and it's all all coming from fear. Mm-hmm. Um, so absolutely, we got to address you know what they're feeling, what they're thinking, and why. And when you approach it from that human standpoint, at least the couples I work with, um, which again I, I think could be almost any couple given the right environment. I, I think that they're they're not there to get one over on the other person. They're there to say, yeah, I want the other parent of my kids to be okay. Mm-hmm. And how often um, do people, are they able to review what their child support is? I mean, right now, say that somebody is not working at all or they're in a certain position Aren't you able to go back and kind of reevaluate that? What is it? Is it once every two years, once every year? What is your advice on that? Uh, you can pretty much always modify child support if there's a substantial and continuing change in circumstances, okay. which is a you know it's not just a one-time thing, but mm-hmm. a, a significant increase or decrease in income, a change in health insurance premiums, a new child. There's there's always basis to do that, and I think they've even um, addressed that just right now that people could do some temporary. Um, changes if they needed to. And and the, they just came out with some new guidance on that. It kept flop, flip-flopping back and forth on whether courts would even hear it. But you can always you can always You can agree. always modify it? You can mm-hmm. always agree. You can modify anything you agree. So the couples that, that mediate, anytime they want to change anything, they can agree to do it and just submit it to the court. Okay. 
So they can always agree on that. If they can't agree, I, we suggest mediation first. And then if they can't agree, they can always, you know, take it to a court. Uh, but the, again, the approach in mediation with child support is very different. In the courts, there's a calculator out there. Everybody right. thinks it's black and white. It's not only is it not black and white, but it's completely broken. It hasn't been adjusted for the 2019 mm-hmm. tax law changes. And oh, it hasn't. No, okay. interesting. And um, and I don't know why that's not being addressed. But even so, I've never used it anyway. You have to submit one. So I have the couple decide on child support mm-hmm. based on all the things that we're looking at in the big picture, and we'll back the child support calculator in because you have to submit one. But it doesn't work. First of all, even if you had you know, all the information set and agreed on to plug into the calculator, which most people don't. Mm-hmm. You can you can litigate every single thing you can plug into that calculator. But even if you agreed on it, it usually spits out one of the lowest numbers in the whole country. So most people can't live on that anyway. Crazy for, pay, pay for the kids' expenses. Yeah. So it, it's just, I encourage couples to, oh, also, they tie it to parenting time. Yes. So there's a, a parent that might argue for more or less parenting time in order to get more child support or to pay less child support. Which, you know, that doesn't make any sense. Or a lot of times people are arguing for parenting time that they can't even do, mm-hmm. you know. And so I tell everyone right off the bat, you know, we can run it all day long, but I'm going to encourage you to look at the big picture. You guys decide what you want to do about mm-hmm. child support. Uh, and, and you know, we'll, we'll make it work. And can you even write it into your decree that you want to review it every two years and see if it needs to be adjusted? Do you... Do people do that? Is that something you encourage? I write in, a, well, you're supposed to be reviewing your parenting plan for possible change and adjustment periodically. The judges like to see that annually. So we write that, we have to write that in anyway. Um, but, um, you know, child supports, anything to do with minor children is mm-hmm. always modifiable. So we can't write any of it in stone. Okay. So not only are you supposed to be doing periodic review for possible change, but anytime you want to change it, you can change it. But what I tell most couples is, with the exception of child support, which is very formal and has to go through the court if you're going to change it, you can change anything you want on your own by mutual agreement. Mutual agreement trumps everything else. So you can take your parenting plan, whether it has like how you were splitting holidays mm-hmm. or how you were splitting medical expenses, you can stick it in a drawer and never look at it again if you don't have any disagreements around those issues. If you're able to be flexible and modify things between the two of you, you don't have to worry about what that, that parenting plan says. Mm-hmm. That's there if there's a dispute or disagreement that you can't resolve, it's technically a legally enforceable order that you can then have enforced or modified. And I correct me if I'm wrong, because I've heard it the different ways. A lot of times spousal is not modifiable. Spousal maintenance? It, if you went to a judge, again, I don't think most people do, mm-hmm. it would always be modifiable. Judges won't make spousal non-modifiable. But you can agree, agree by yourself as mm-hmm. the parties to make it non-modifiable. In that case, no judge will hear a claim okay. if you wanted to change it later. So it has pros and cons mm-hmm. to it. It has some certainty, but then if something happens drastic, you can't modify it unless the other person agrees. Got it. So I've had, I used to in the past write like 20 pages of contingencies. It's not modifiable except in these 50 situations. And then, of course, you miss that one situation that happened. Right. <laughs> that happens, so I course. lean more towards if it's going to be of long duration and we just can't anticipate everything, Let's just leave it modifiable. Will it be modified? Who knows? It's not. Doesn't mean it will be just because you say modifiable. And there, you have to have a good basis for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but if we if we just have too many contingencies in there, it's better just to leave it modifiable. If it's a short period of time, and you're and you feel like okay, we can both sides we can live with this for this period of time, we'll just make it non modifiable. And if something drastic happens, you hope that they'll work with each other and and work it out. 
That's great. Well, I mean, it sounds Yay. like a great approach. Thank you so much for being here today. Do you want to plug your business again and tell us <laughs> you know, where to find yeah, where you? Where can they find you? Well, it's affordablemediationaz.com. Ooh, get that AZ. You have to have that AZ in there. You get to some unknown site. For all of our listeners outside of AZ. Affordable you might just want to AZ. Google mediation in general. Yeah, if yeah. You, and if you just Google yeah, affordable mediation, you're gonna see me pop up anyway. I should I should be one of the ones under there. Um, so yeah, so it's just um, I'm open to talk to anybody on the phone. Like I said, at no charge. Answer questions about process. I can't give legal advice, although I am a licensed Arizona attorney. Nothing I say is legal advice. I can't give legal advice. Mm-hmm. I work exclusively as a mediator. I do not practice law anymore. So I would encourage people to That's talk to enough. their own individual lawyers for any type of legal advice. But I'm happy to discuss the mediation process all day long with anyone who wants to give a call. Um, the phone number's on the website, the affordablemediationaz.com. And there's lots of other information on there. I have downloads. I have I blog a lot. So there's a lot of information on there. Check it out. Just, awesome. And your background's amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you both. Yes, for, thank you for being here. Thanks really for inviting Affordable it. mediation easy. That's it. All right, Mara. Thank you. Thank you both. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.